Ah, shit, here we go. Reasons not to support Trump. I'm going to try to make this one brief because I'm tired of hearing about him and just sick and tired of arguing about him. And this has nothing to do with mean tweets or divisive campaign speeches because it's not a case of, it's not what you say, but how you say it. Because what and how he says things appeals nicely to his cult of supporters and other people out there who feel neglected by the establishment and run-of-the-mill politicians in general. And you can't blame anyone who feels neglected by the scum that's been running this country for all of our lives, basically. So when they hear and see something different or that taps into them some bit, you know, they're going to lean more toward that. And that's where... I come in with a show like this, exposing scumbags while shedding light on better options. So those even in his own even in his own party who criticize him for not being aligned with polite society probably say much worse when behind closed doors. So it's more like not what you say, but when you say it. For example, the call for a border wall and cracking down on immigrants crossing over. That's music to the ears of his supporters, but as we all know, it pisses everyone else off. Now, there's documented recordings and videos of other politicians, including Democrats, who called for that as well, but that was when they were already holding office and tasked or confronted with the issue at hand. So you don't hear anybody raising hell about them. I think it was one of his State of the Unions when Bill Clinton even mentioned this idea. And as far as differences between what all these other politicians and elected officials say to the public and say among their inner circles or staff, you should check out the Nixon tapes. There are recordings of President Nixon's phone conversations with his staff or inner circle from the White House. If you have HBO On Demand or HBO Max, go to Documentaries and select Nixon by Nixon, in his own words. Press play and sit back and enjoy. Some of the shit you'll hear. Woo! Trump's mean tweets, name-calling, and campaign speeches are nursery rhymes compared to some of Nixon's phone conversations from the White House. And meanwhile... Tricky Dick, as they called him, he's probably still praised by many of these Lincoln Project uh, Republican never-Trumpers who act like they want civility back in politics. You know, a bunch of bullshit. So let's cut the crap and zero in on the real reasons why nobody should support Trump. Before being president... Trump was part of the whole bribery system. Everyone his supporters hate, he donated to, according to campaign finance records. Between 1989 and 2010, he gave more to Democrats than Republicans. He even donated to the Clinton Foundation. He has no shame and says it's smart. You can find it on Ballotpedia. I remember during one of the primary debates, he or some interview when he was first running, he even said, You know, yeah, if I want something done, I know I could call Nancy Pelosi or whoever it is I donated to, and they'll get it done because I'm a campaign donor. So he knows all about it. 
You'll see, a, but if you go to Ballotpedia, you'll see a breakdown of dollar amounts and which specific politicians he donated to, and even how many times he did. Notable Democrats on the federal level he's donated to include Chuck Schumer, Hillary Clinton, John Kerry, and even Joe Biden one time. On the state level, notable Democrats he's donated to include Andrew Cuomo, Elliot Spitzer, and get this, Kamala Harris. There are also notable Republicans on both the federal and the state level he's donated to as well. So he's familiar with the whole bribery and the campaign donating and how it works. Meaning he is the swamp that he told his supporters he would drain. Some still say he's an outsider because he didn't hold political office in the past, but he was still involved in dealing and donating. As far as being a businessman, we all heard about his multiple bankruptcies. He was not self-made as he inherited from his dad and took over the real estate business. Until getting into reality TV, all other business ventures of his outside of real estate failed. Trump stakes, Trump airlines, and Trump University, which even led to a lawsuit. It's been reported that Trump did not pay hundreds of workers and contractors when he was a businessman. Hundreds of liens, judgments, and at least 60 lawsuits have been found against Trump and his businesses, alleging that he has not fully paid workers for their labor, and in some instances refused to pay commissions for his own lawyers and real estate brokers. Since 2005, his businesses have also racked up 24 violations of the Fair Labor Standards Act for not paying employees minimum wage or overtime pay. Records show that Trump failed to pay at least 253 subcontractors in full or on time regarding construction on the Trump Taj Mahal Casino in Atlantic City, New Jersey, in 1990. Now, just search all this and you'll find it being reported from all kinds of sources, not just certain ones with a certain leaning or anything like that. No, it's just all over the place. And we'll discuss in a bit how he continued to screw workers as president. Let's dive into his presidency. One thing it was known for, and that his party is down with regardless of who does it, would be the tax cuts. Well, they mostly benefited the wealthy and large corporations. In other words, those who would still be well off and richer than everyone else without the tax cuts anyway. Meanwhile, a report came out last month from the Congressional Budget Office that pointed out that extending these cuts would add $3.5 trillion, that's with a T, to the deficit. You know, that thing Republicans seem to care so much about dealing with only when it isn't them in the White House. And while the corporate tax rate cuts were made permanent in the bill, the individual tax cuts are set to expire come 2025, which is just around the corner. Do you really think that politicians who care so much about the deficit when the other party is in power or who are committed to tax cuts for corporations and the wealthy people are going to care about renewing that cut for individual working people? You really believe those deficit hawks and pro-tax cuts for the wealthy and big business type politicians give a damn that individual working people would be paying more taxes while getting less in return? If so, I have a bridge to sell you. 
Trump gained popularity among a lot of working people, blue-collar, white-collar, but especially blue-collar in rural and neglected areas of the country. After all, you can't blame people for not supporting the same old business-as-usual politicians that already screwed them. But let's see Trump's record in regard to working people. We all know the first half of his presidency saw record high employment, which some may argue was already on the increase before he took office. And we all know he left office with the worst employment record since Herbert Hoover, which some can argue was because of the pandemic and would have been the case regardless of who was president. Looking at data from the Bureau of Economic Analysis from September of 2020, fact is during Trump's first two years in office as he imposed tariffs, employment by foreign affiliates and subsidiaries of US manufacturers, jobs going overseas, jumped by 257, 1,400 jobs, including 58,700 more outsourced jobs at China, 26,300 more in Mexico, and 112,100 more jobs across Europe. American manufacturing employment declined by 237,000 jobs from January of 2017 through August of 2020. The data also shows that since Trump took office, U.S. manufacturers have downsized by 77,400 jobs in Michigan, 31,400 jobs in Ohio, 28,900 jobs in North Carolina, 24,000 jobs in Pennsylvania, 14,700 jobs in Minnesota, and 11,900 jobs in Wisconsin. That's 188,300 jobs lost in those six states. Those same six states added 126,700 new jobs in manufacturing under his predecessor. From January of 2017 to August 2020, the average real weekly earnings of manufacturing workers increased less than $10. During his predecessor's second term, the increase was $43. Then there's the carrier plant in Indiana, where Trump announced a deal to save hundreds of jobs from being outsourced. While Mike Pence was still governor of Indiana, one of his final acts was arranging $7 million in state credits and training grants. Despite Trump's exaggerated promises of ending offshoring and Pence's actions as governor, more than 600 workers were still laid off. That's because tax cuts don't automatically create jobs or keep them from being outsourced, regardless of what politicians promise. Demand, demand creates jobs. As far as outsourcing jobs, without laws in place that say otherwise, corporations are going to do what they want and cut corners as they see fit. Let's look at actual policies that screw workers. Early in 2020, he issued a memo calling for the abolition of federal workers' bargaining rights. Trump's Department of Labor proposed a rule that would allow employers to pocket the tips of their employees as long as workers were are paid the minimum wage. The department's economic analysis showed the rule would have cost workers $5.8 billion in wages each year. Trump's Tax Cuts and Jobs Act provided huge financial incentives for companies to send jobs overseas. Since Trump took office, an estimated 200,000 jobs have gone overseas. This act has a tax benefit for firms that fisher their operations by outsourcing work to subcontracted firms, which is anywhere in the world. This encouraging of offshoring resulted in a net loss of nearly 1,800 factories between 2016 and 2018 alone. 
Not to mention the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act accelerated profits being shifted to overseas tax havens, which deprives the United States of roughly $100 billion in revenue each year to benefit Americans. Oh yeah, them. Trump has killed OSHA safety standards and gutted its enforcement ability by reducing the number of safety and health inspectors to the lowest level in its 50-year history. There are so few inspectors now that it would take the agency 165 years to visit every U.S. workplace just once. The Trump administration blocked the implementation of the Fair Pay and Safe Workplaces rule, ensuring that taxpayer dollars are not awarded to contractors who cut corners on workplace safety and other labor protections. In April 2018, the Mine Safety and Health Administration finalized a rule that weakened mine safety inspection requirements and withdrew more than a dozen rules protecting mine workers from major hazards such as explosive coal dust and mining chemicals. So much for caring about coal miners, right? All this and much, much more can be found in a report from October of 2020 in a publication known as Labor Tribune, which is owned by the unions of St. Louis and Southern Illinois. What I mentioned from there is only the tip of the iceberg. So none of that sounds like someone who puts America first. You know what else doesn't put America first? Being what Tulsi Gabbard called Saudi Arabia's bitch. If Trump put anyone first, it was Saudi Arabia, a country that doesn't value free speech and free press as they killed Jamal Khashoggi, a Washington Post journalist. After that, they have, there have been two cases of the administration approving the transfer of sensitive nuclear technology to Saudi Arabia. While the US has an annual blacklist of countries recruiting child soldiers in battle, Trump's Secretary of State Mike Pompeo chose not to include Saudi Arabia on it, despite recommendations from officials inside the State Department. Trump blocked three congressional bills that would have stopped more than $8 billion in arms sales to Saudi Arabia, the UAE, and Jordan. The Trump administration notified Congress in June 2017 that it planned to resume sales of precision-guided bombs to Saudi Arabia that were suspended by Obama over concerns about civilian deaths from Saudi-led coalition airstrikes in Yemen. Yeah, the Yemen, that's uh, you know, a lot of... Uh, mayhem going on from Saudi Arabia doing airstrikes on them. In December 2018, the Trump administration threatened to veto a resolution drafted by Britain demanding accountability for war crimes in Yemen conflict and for Saudi Arabia and other states to ensure unfettered access for shipments of food and medicine to ports in Yemen. Since leaving office, Trump and his family have made billions of dollars in business deals with Saudi Arabia's ruling elite. That's a conflict of interest right there. Not only does his son-in-law, Jared Kushner, not only is he involved with investments there, such as Saudi Arabia investing $2 billion with his firm, but Trump has even hosted a Saudi-backed golf tournament. And Donald Trump's company, to use the Trump brand for its $4 billion project in the Gulf state of Oman, that includes a golf course, hotel, and villas. That's right. Uh, Saudi Arabia invested $2 billion with Jared Kushner's firm, and Saudi Arabian real estate developer Dar El Arkin signed an agreement with former U.S. President Donald Trump's company to use the Trump brand for its $4 billion project in the Gulf state of Oman. Golf course, hotel, villas, all that great stuff. 
When Trump did that Muslim travel ban, which was discriminatory based on religion and nationality, as there were certain countries on the list, Saudi Arabia was not on the list. If you believe certain countries need to be on such a list for national security purposes, well, guess which country most of the 9-11 hijackers were from? Saudi Arabia. So it wasn't about protecting you. It was about appealing to people's prejudices and fears because that's what he relies on for support. He appealed to many fed up folks by saying he was going to drain the swamp. He did the opposite. The proof was in his cabinet. Now, honestly, I don't know how much say, if any, he or any president really has in their cabinet or even their choice for vice president. I'm under the belief that party bosses and corporate donors call the shots regarding that stuff. I know we're told the president picks them or that the winner of the party's nomination chooses a running mate, but I wouldn't be surprised if there was behind the scenes shit going on. But regardless, the swamp only thickened and grew under Trump. Whoever picked his cabinet only had so much say as it ended up being a revolving door. Firings and resignations like there was no tomorrow. I've seen call centers and fast food restaurants with lower turnover than Trump's cabinet, all right? If it really was he who made all the cabinet picks, then he had really poor judgment, which is not something I'd want in a president. So who were these swamp monsters? If I had the time, I could make a 10-hour episode about each one and how awful they are. But I'll try to keep it short and sweet. Let's start with Mick Mulvaney, who Trump last month <laughs> called a born loser. <laughs> God love it. He's your friend one day and hates you the next. In his Truth Social page, Trump said of Mulvaney, he was acting chief of staff because I never would have named him to the permanent position and said he was perhaps the dumbest person working at the White House during his administration. He goes on with merely a backbencher who once gave a news conference that was legendarily bad. He is now with CBS Fake News and should be grateful to the man who made him famous. This guy was uncharismatic, a born loser. No wonder why they have no ratings. <laughs> so this contradicts Trump's 2016 claim that he'd hire only the best and most serious people. So now, of course, Mulvaney hopes Trump doesn't get the party's 2024 nomination. But why was he in the picture at all if Trump thought he was a dud all along? Not only was he acting chief of staff for a little over a year, but he was also the 41st director of the Office of Management and Budget and was acting director of the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. His last job in that administration was United States Special Envoy for Northern Ireland until he resigned after the January 6th storming of the Capitol. But here's why Mick was a bad choice to begin with. In April 2018, Mulvaney told a room of banking industry executives and lobbyists that as a congressman, he refused to take meetings with lobbyists unless they contributed to his congressional campaigns because money talks. He said, if you're a lobbyist who never gave us money, I did not talk to you. If you're a lobbyist who gave us money, I might talk to you. In other words, he flat out admits that he was bought. And 
that's all there's to it. I mean, you could look him up at opensecrets.org to see which industries he received the most campaign funds from. In other words, who he owed favors to and whose behalf he legislated and voted on. Hint, not yours. A lot of real estate and banking in there. I saw Coke Industries, as in K-O-C-H, like the Coke brothers. I saw them in there uh, one of the years he ran. So just another swamp monster. Though he was acting director of the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, that was something he wanted to get rid of as a congressman. So of course he didn't care about protecting consumers. Prior to him taking that job, the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau has helped 31 million Americans who have been ripped off and scammed uh, to be compensated for it. Give justice where due. When Mick Mulvaney took control, he made it protect the perpetrators instead. He ended a four-year investigation into a lender that just happened to be a campaign donor of his, cha-ching, cha-ching. He dropped an investigation into a lender charging 950% interest. He sided with predatory payday lenders over ripped-off military service members, so much for Republicans supporting the troops and veterans. You can read all this and more at bettermarkets.org. You can also just simply search Mick Mulvaney Consumer Protection Bureau and find piles of examples of him screwing consumers instead of protecting them and how awful he was for this particular job. One can do a whole show on this dirtbag. But moving on to the next dirtbag in the Trump administration, Steve Mnuchin, also known as the foreclosure king. While the economy was collapsing in 2008, the later end of Bush's second term, a Republican administration. Mnuchin and some of his buddies purchased a bank called IndyMac and turned it into One West, becoming the largest bank in Southern California. A 2013 memo from the California Attorney General's office was leaked indicating that One West allegedly engaged in widespread misconduct to boost foreclosures, including the backdating of mortgage documents. In light of the memo, the nonprofit Watchdog Campaign for Accountability called on the Department of Justice to investigate One West for using potentially illegal tactics to foreclose on as many as 80,000 California homes. Rather than modifying loans to help people keep their homes, One West preferred simple foreclosures, as evidence points out. In a 2011 letter to the FDIC, other regulators and lawmakers People who said they worked at One West claimed it actually makes more money by foreclosing than they would if they allow loan modification. The letter said One West's loan modification staff routinely shreds loan modification applications and lies to homeowners when they call One West. Active duty military servicemen and women were among those foreclosed instead of being offered other options. And this was at a time where yeah, yeah, a lot of them were being deployed. You know, if they weren't being deployed, they either is because they got back from being deployed or were going to be deployed soon anyway. So, uh, yeah, so much for supporting the troops, right? Fucking assholes. These, uh, this administration was. I mean, how, how anyone could support this scumbag is beyond me. A unit, in the, oh, oh, and hear this. A unit of One West called Financial Freedom 
agreed to pay $89 million to settle allegations that wrongfully sought payments from a federally insured reverse mortgage program, unreasonably took advantage of thousands of senior citizens through reverse mortgages, which convert equity in a home into a loan. So yes, screwing veterans, screwing senior citizens, screwing military people, and just screwing, you know, just all kinds of people in general. Like at a time when the economy is at its worst, it's like we could foreclose your home or we could offer something out like a loan modification, something to keep you from being foreclosed to get through these tough times. But now nah, it's just easier to screw people over. And because, you know, it's somehow the individual's fault that 800,000 jobs a month are being lost. Yeah, because all of a sudden, in 2008, all of a sudden, 800,000 uh, people per month suddenly decided to be lazy losers and poor decision makers, right? Yeah, this is why I don't buy a lot of these bullshit conservative narratives, because they just don't, you know, they're, they just don't add up. Uh, so, yeah, it's really messed up. So is this really the kind of scum you want running this country, running the government you pay for regardless of who gets elected or selected for that matter? I guess some people want that. Moving along to Betsy DeVos, Trump's education secretary. Unqualified for the job, clearly. Never attended or sent her kids to public school. Never a teacher or school administrator. And no degrees in education. Now, regardless of how people think of COVID now, there was a time when it killed more Americans in a few months than the Vietnam War did in 10 years, and trucks had to be used as morgues. So the pandemic was serious for at least a certain amount of time. Well, in the middle of it, she threatened schools with a loss of federal funding if they refused to reopen. So like everyone else in that administration, very out of touch with real life that most people go through. And by the way, that whole bungling of the pandemic is a huge contributing factor to why Trump did not get reelected. But anyway, Betsy DeVos cared more about religious and private education than public education. She argued for less money from Congress and massive cuts in federal education spending. So this is the last person you want to have that job. Now, when it comes to other members of the cabinet at first, I know his first pick for Secretary of Defense, James Mattis, Marine Corps General, was probably the most popular choice he made. And that made sense because somebody who is a general in one of the branches of the military becomes Secretary of Defense. That's great. I mean, that's, I mean, that's the kind of credential I'd look for if I was going to appoint someone to that position. However, when it comes to all the other departments, Trump did the opposite, the complete opposite concept of appointing somebody who's qualified for it and who has that kind of background in it, and instead appointed people who were against the whole thing altogether. So as the expression goes, that's no way to run a railroad. Next poor decision in a cabinet appointment and another unqualified stooge is Scott Pruitt, Trump's first head of the Environmental Protection Agency. He had to resign due to numerous ethics investigations. 
In July 2018, it was reported in many outlets, including the New York Times, that he was subject of at least 13 federal investigations. And a government watchdog agency concluded that he had broken the law with his purchase of a $43,000 secure telephone booth on the taxpayer's money. He was also under investigation for his 2017 lease of a bedroom in a condominium linked to a Canadian energy company's powerful Washington lobbying group and for accusations that he demoted or sidelined EPA employees who questioned his actions. Also came under criticism for lavish expenditures on foreign travel, including a trip arranged for him by a lobbyist to Morocco, a country where the EPA has no policy agenda. His domestic travel also came under fire after a former staff member told congressional investigators that his boss often sought to travel to Oklahoma, where Mr. Pruitt owns a home, directing his employees to find me something to do there so he could justify charging taxpayers for the expense. Joni Ernst and Charles E. Grassley, two Republican senators from Iowa, a state with a solid bank of Trump supporters, have both publicly criticized Mr. Pruitt. Even the National Review, a conservative publication, called on Mr. Pruitt to resign. Laura Ingraham, the conservative talk radio host, even called for his resignation in a tweet. Pruitt is the swamp. Drain it. The Atlantic Magazine reported that Mr. Pruitt's office gave raises to two aides, even though the White House had declined to approve the raises. And as scandals mounted, Pruitt was called to testify before several House and Senate committees. Wow. Wow. And even as a former Oklahoma Attorney General who built his career on lawsuits against the EPA, well, wouldn't you know it, he began the largest regulatory rollback in the agency's history. That means he, he would rather allow destruction of the environment, which includes allowing pollution of the air we breathe and the water we drink, rather than protect it, which is supposed to be what the agency is for. So, I mean, of course, it was easy for, you know, either Democrats or independents or environmentalists who to criticize him and point out how he's not right for the job, not fit for the job, but even members of his own party, even media outlets that are supposed to be right-leaning and that typically approve all Republicans for all offices, even they couldn't take it anymore. Even they had to like come to their senses and, and say, yeah, this, this guy's got to go. You have to be a real corrupt piece of garbage to spend taxpayer money to put a soundproof phone booth in your office as a government official, especially if it's an agency like the Environmental Protection Agency. All right. Like, God, God damn. And anyone who appoints this kind of scum to their cabinet is not the kind of scum I would vote for. Remember when Trump was campaigning, he was a critic of the Iraq war and claimed to have opposed it? 
someone who truly opposed it, or at least later on have found it to be a bad idea, would not appoint John Bolton as National Security Advisor, or any position for that matter. But that's what Trump did. I know I mentioned Bolton in a previous episode regarding PACs Ron DeSantis accepted campaign money from when running for Congress. But anyway, John Bolton was one of the architects of the Iraq War when he was in the Bush administration and has always been a war hawk calling for preemptive strikes against North Korea and Iran. He can't be trusted. So while Trump said he'd end forever wars, nobody who is serious about that would appoint John Bolton to anything. While Trump and Pence are no longer bros, having Mike Pence as a choice for vice president to begin with is a red flag. To really understand who Mike Pence is and his views, he's a social conservative, which means he's an authoritarian. Politico did a piece called 55 Things You Need to Know About Mike Pence. A lot of it is stuff that I really could not, that I really could not care less about. But basically, if you believe in freedom, Mike Pence is not for you. When running for Congress, he promised to oppose any effort to recognize homosexuals as a discreet and insular minority entitled to the protection of anti-discrimination laws and advocated for a constitutional amendment defining marriage as between a man and a woman. He wants to tell consenting adults what they can and can't do in the bedroom and wants to tell people how to live even if they're not hurting anyone. You can't vote for that and say you believe in freedom. In Congress, he also voted for the Iraq War and praised NAFTA, North American Free Trade Agreement, that awful bipartisan trade deal signed by Bill Clinton and resulted in future job losses, and especially in areas where Trump became popular because of it. A big reason people voted for Trump was because of awful trade deals delivered to us from both parties. Well, <clears throat> Pence supported such trade deals. But enough about Mike Pence for now, as he recently threw his hat in the ring, so there will probably be a whole episode on him soon. I only brought him up because when you vote for a presidential candidate, you're also voting for their running mate. And a vote for Mike Pence contradicted Many reasons independents and even some Democrats voted for Trump. People tend to overlook VP picks, but they're important. When blue don't matter who voters blame third party voters for awful George W. Bush policies, they seem to forget who Al Gore's running mate was. Joe Lieberman, who ended up supporting Bush's Iraq war, left the Democratic Party eventually and in 2008 threw his support behind Republican presidential candidate John McCain. Well, now people who supported Trump and Pence in 2016 and still supporting Trump are not fond of Pence anymore. Because of the importance I see in picks for vice president, there will also be an episode on Kamala Harris. If Trump wins the nomination in 2024, I'll bet another swamp monster or scumbag and sellout of some kind will be his running mate. And that is important as Trump isn't getting any younger and is already in enough hot water as it is.
This went on longer than I wanted, but where do you begin or end with this clown? So quick recap. Long history of throwing others under the bus. Part of the same corruption and business as usual and conflicts of interest as those people voted against when supporting him. Awful cabinet picks. And a spoiled man-child who's been surrounded by yes-men his whole life, so when millions of Americans tell him no, he can't wrap his head around it. That is everything you need to know about Donald Trump. Important to do this episode and others like it right now regarding the scumbags and sellouts who may seek higher office in the near future because we have to get it out now. Waiting until October of 2024 to try to convince people that both major party candidates are awful will be too late. We know this. Time is crucial make better decisions in the primary elections or get a bigger movement going on to support a better option outside the duopoly. To hear more episodes, follow The Andrew Miller Show on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, also available on Google Podcasts and several other podcast platforms I never even heard of until making these podcast episodes. If you want to support the show by throwing a few bucks at it, There's a link for that at the end of the show's description where it says about on the Spotify page or directly underneath the show's photo on the Apple podcast site. You can also follow the show on Facebook, The Andrew Miller Show. To recognize it on Facebook, the profile pic is the same for the show itself, the astronaut on the moon with the flag, and the cover photo has two pictures in it. The one where Trump and the Clintons are schmoozing together, having a good time, And within it is the photo of Biden awarding Bush the Liberty Medal. Because nothing says liberty like supporting the Patriot Act, NSA spying, and the failed war on drugs. The point of those pics as the cover photo is that it's a big club and you and I aren't in it, as George Carlin pointed out in one of his later rants. Sadly, many people in this country need to be reminded of that. And of course, always remember, Demand and pressure from the bottom on up is how real change happens. Anything that is great about our country, I know anyone can make a 10-hour long podcast episode about everything that's not great, but there are some great things. And everything that is great about our country, or even public and government services or programs that are actually good, none of that came about because of an elected official who wanted to be nice. Uh Uh-uh. It all comes from demanding it. A lot of protections or freedoms that are passed in individual states don't happen from leaving everything in the hands of the governor, but rather a referendum or public question or ballot initiative. A yes or no vote on the ballot for the people to decide. In fact, you can scroll through previous episodes of the show and find an episode about ballot initiatives and referendums. Hey, if you believe citizens and taxpayers should have we're saying how their tax money is being spent. There's an episode about participatory budgeting. If you think the winner of an election should be the person who got the most votes, yeah, imagine that, right? There's an episode about a national popular vote. If you loathe and despise both the Democrat and Republican parties and are embarrassed to be registered as one, but still see them as the only game in town, 
and there's a candidate you like running in their publicly funded and administered primary election, there's an episode about open primaries. Or how about this? If you want to vote for a third party or independent candidate without being deemed a spoiler, and want to see more people feel comfortable voting their true conscience, check out the episode on ranked choice voting. If you're wondering what the deal is with delegates and primaries and at the party conventions, there's an episode about that too. Check it all out. Learn how to get involved. While I continue to rant about what I don't like here and there, or interview candidates I'd like to see succeed or gain more traction, I'll also cover more causes and talk with people involved in them. This is where it's at. Let's move forward, and for now, peace out.